0: Field Podcast on the Blood Red Channel bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Analysis and Tactical Analysis Podcast, key to see of the Blood Red Channel. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined as always by Mo Stewart. Yeah, but this week made a little bit different.
0: A little bit different. Well, I mean, it feels like everything's a little bit different in the world, <laughs> so we might as well do a policy. But yeah, it's exciting. We're actually, I can actually touch you. Yeah, uh, and yeah, hopefully this means that we're going to be able to expand on some more what we can do with the show.
1: Yeah, well, long-term listeners of the show will be aware of the, like the past. Like we, before With we we did record in a in a studio. Um, it was quite a good studio as well <laughs> <laughs> at at this point in time we're, we're dealing with a bit of a makeshift um, we're in the works a little bit yeah. maybe but um, and it's black to fit with the theme of the episode, considering uh what i against making space. but it's it's good to see it in person maybe yeah, yeah man definitely um and this will be a thing moving forward, probably maybe we'll mix it up by going a few different places or something like that, maybe we'll get a few tactics boards involved in mm-hmm. but I suppose it's mainly for the people on youtube mm-hmm. but in terms of just listening as well, I think it's always better if you just if you can just bounce off each other really. Yeah, I mean, we haven't got to be kind of living and dying by our internet speeds, for starters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be different, but it'll it'll be maybe a bit of a new dawn for analysing our field. So, yeah, it's good to see it anyway, but we, we do have to touch on a few controversial points. Mm. Um, and we'll look ahead to Brighton. We'll try and lean on Brighton, I think, in this, in this episode just to be a little happier. But I think... I was saying to you before the episode, uh, before today's episode, that we must have done, I must have done at least about 200 plus Analysing Anfield episodes, right? And I think you can count the number of episodes in which we've talked about referees, probably on one hand, genuinely. And there's a reason for that, it's because it's visible. And it's because that's one of the elements of the game that Jürgen Klopp, for example, just cannot control, nope. you have no influence over it whatsoever. But this week, mate, we, we cannot avoid the campaign. They have pushed themselves to the centre of the stage. Yeah, we, we, or have, or we have no choice but to speak over them this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, even if you wanted to do any kind of tactical analysis of the game, you couldn't do it without mentioning them because there are at least two rather large incidents which fundamentally change the course of this game tactically, i.e. Liverpool have one less player. Uh, and and the ways that happens, it's funny because I was really disappointed, not just in the decision with Curtis Jones, because obviously in the moment you're emotional, all those kind of things. The thing that I was most disappointed of was this game was just coming to the boil. Yeah, it was a really great game of football, and at that point I thought, oh god, it's going to be spoiled. But credit to the two teams, it remained a really good game of football even as the madness ensued. And I think that. That's one of the things that I want this show to reclaim. We, we want to reclaim the football. Yes, we will talk about the controversy, but we want to reclaim the football because there's so much in
1: there to really discuss and dive into. I don't think anyone else has done it yet. Well, we spot on. Um, I don't want to lean too much on the refereeing decisions because, you know, everyone's done it. And uh, we are a bit late to the party with that and I don't think anyone wants to wear it anyway. So we'll touch on it a little bit, but we, we do want to focus on like the tactical elements of the game. And there was definitely a few of them. Yeah. Um, but if we do just kind of get the referee out the way quickly, um, I thought it was one of the worst refereeing performances I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that as a as a biased Liverpool fan. It was genuinely, I thought it was a mess. It,
0: it looked a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights job, yeah, and yeah. obviously, to a certain extent, you don't know how much of that, particularly second half, was coloured by the fact that he knew that there was this big thing hanging over them that there was always going to dominate proceedings, but. Yeah, I think when you think about teams having a week to prepare for a game, I think it should be the same for referees. And yes, we always want consistency with referees, but we were told loads that they want, like last season in particular, it's all about letting the game flow, letting the, letting the entertainment come in, not too many stoppages. Didn't feel like that. And this is two very attacking teams. These aren't two blood and thunder teams who are going out there to kick lumps out of each other. These are teams who want to play good, flowing, attacking football. Yeah. And yet, that's what we got. And obviously, the first big incident, the Jones Red card, is the catalyst for all those other things. And Is it a bet? For me, I think, unfortunately, I can see why it's for red in this under the rules. But I think the interesting thing for me, right, most of the people who you speak to who are former footballers, they will all say, no, just a yellow, just a yellow. Mm. Because they know the intent of Curtis Jones when he goes in there. They know the only reason it becomes a reckless tackle is because he slips on the ball, not because of the way he enters the tackle. Yeah. Unfortunately, under the letter of the law, that doesn't matter anymore. And I think we're going to talk about speed of decisions around VAR and referees over the course of this little bit. But I think it comes into play here as well, because that's why you end up with... Simon Hooper seeing the still before anything else, because in the VAR room with this intent of trying to speed up things, there are certain hits, so if you see ball, foot studs up over the top into a leg, that's it. Yeah. It's almost like you're trying to make a subjective decision, but there are certain key indicators that say, okay, if you see that, that's definitely red. And that's what happened. They saw that still and went, okay, because of that, it's definitely red. So that's why they showed you that first. That's why they didn't show him the other angle of him touching the ball onto the player. Mm. And so you get a situation where within the referee's remit, it's a red card. I still think it's harsh. I still think it's entirely unlucky. And there's not really much else Curtis Jones could have done in that situation.
1: Yeah. But we are where we are. I, I think it's one of them that is potentially an orange card. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean. And I, I think an orange card uh, incident is is one of those where if, if you ask 100 people, You'll maybe get a fifty-fifty split as to whether who people who think it's red compared to people who think it's yellow. Mm. So it's a bit of a mid ground, and I think I can see why he was sent off, especially when the referee was shown that still, which I completely disagree with. But um, what I was frustrated with, what what really wound me up with it, was as you say earlier, it was such a good game, <laughs> it, and it was it was shaping up to be an amazing like spectacle. I think of football there. Yeah. Like, Two attacking sides, both pressing high, both building from the back. Attacking uh, quality everywhere, and um, I think in situations like that, just let the game play out. Just, just let the two teams decide who deserves to win. And I, I think, like when the referee decides the game on his own by making a decision like that, it's, it's just it's so annoying because you don't have to. No, and to be fair
0: to Simon Hooper, for this one moment, he did give a yellow card. True. He did initially give Leo a yellow card, so yeah. he was, like, of the opinion, like we were, it's like, yeah, so it's probably a, 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 a tackle that ends in a bad moment, but it's not out of control. Yeah. So it's only when, as I say, they see the still, and, like I say, they have these indicators, go, wait, no, no, we've done that, so that's obviously a red, and then they go back, and I don't know, I don't specifically remember how long that one took with him at the uh, the screen. I don't think it was a long time. No. But based on the way that you see that image first, you can almost imagine the conversation would have been, Simon, it's a red because of this here that I'll show you. And then they show, they don't just show the full tackle, they just show the still, and then they show the bit where it moves into the still. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you see the foot connecting with the leg, and you see the foot while it's connected to leg, you don't see how it got to that point. And again, footballers, people who've made tackles a hundred a million times, they would say that that part is important. Uh, even Andrews Townsend, who was doing analysis for the game for Sky, who's technically the Spurs guy, he was like, "Yeah,
1: that's not a red card for me." Gary Neville even said the same. Yeah, and, you know, Manchester United legend.
0: But this is the thing: it's like, are we going to be refereing rule? Are we going to be setting the rules of referees based on around the players' experience and how they feel the game should go, or are we not? And at the moment, I would say we're not.
1: <laughs> well, I, I just, I just like the idea of a of a world where. Kind of the, the the main thing that decides the results is the performance on the pitch. And, High and bar. That's a change in the game. Yeah, the, the referee should be there to referee the game, and um, kind of ideally take more of a backseat. I I don't think a referee should should decide the results. And I think in this game, think of how impossible it was by the end for Liverpool to actually get anything. Mm-hmm. It was just outrageous meeting and yet they still knew he did exactly yeah exactly we'll get into that um but yeah it was it was unfortunate that that he got sent off at the time because uh, as i said it was it was a great game at the time and it really changed the course of the match but once he did get dismissed liverpool still posed a massive threat yes and by the way before we even get that actually at the point of the, his dismissal it felt like a relatively even game but by that point Spurs had had one shot Liverpool have had eight. Yes. And Spurs, by the way, are averaging the most shots of any team in the league this season. So you could argue there Liverpool's defence looking a little bit back to normal a bit. Maybe. It was
0: it's a strange situation because there were certain Spurs could point to certain things and say, Okay, that feels good for us. Like We weren't able to stop Madison getting on the ball, which I'm assuming was probably one of the high things on our to-do list. He was still able to get into space, but he wasn't able to then do damage once he was there, because like you say, our defensive structure was so good, and the energy in the press was still really high. And it was very much a two-and-fro game, like Spurs were able to feel like they could build, and they could kind of escape from some of our press, but we were the ones who were having the real chances. And... Games like that turn on who gets the first goal because the team who's doing the, the things that they want to do, the build ups, they can they say, okay, well, just one time we get through and we score. Whereas us who are getting the chances say, well, we take one of those and we score. And, well, we did, but we <laughs> didn't. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. I'm, I'm I'm really sick of talking about it and I was listening to the uh, the audio last night, the VAR audio, just I deliberately went outside in the rain and listened to it like just, <laughs> just, just to make sure it was a bit more on brandly. But <laughs> yeah, I think I think the way in which the full scored the goal though as well. Kind of um epitomised like the the type of forward Klopp has targeted yes. since she came to the club. Because he's targeted these players who uh who were really fast, really direct. Um, can carry the ball over large distances. I think we touched on that a couple of times over the summer in terms of just buying these players who can just carry the ball relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Gravenberg, Sabusle, you know, and I think we've got Gapo who can do that, Diaz, Salah, Jota, Mane when he was here. And I think having those players, obviously Northern injured at the minute, available, obviously you've got Nunes on the bench as well. Mm. Um, it allows Liverpool to, to sit there a little bit deeper, but still pose a massive threat yes. on the break and we, we end up taking the lead. I Amazing mean, finish, by the way. <laughs> and not, not many people are touching on that no. finish. And it was a perfect legitimate goal. The referee assesses the goal, says, yeah, goal, check complete. No, no. <laughs> and please. 0-0. And we start playing from 0-0 no, again, no, which is just it's unprecedented, not, really. And that's literally what I was going to say. It's unprecedented. And this is what rival supporters aren't right? getting up. They all think it's a subjective thing, and we've just been let down by a referee like normal. This was an absolute one-off where, like, the referees looked at it and said, "Yeah, goal," and we didn't get it. We didn't get the goal. It's it's
0: not that just, the decision was wrong. It's how they came to the wrong decision. It's the process that yeah, they yeah. used or yeah. didn't use to get there. And like you say, it should go beyond the tip for tat of all refereeing decisions that uh, most of which are subjective. Some of which aren't, like the the whole um, Aston Villa Sheffield United thing with the the goal line technology where it didn't work that's a process that's similar to this but yeah. that is a mechanical pro technological broadcast so that's yeah. not a human error yeah. or multiple human errors as was the case here and yeah it's it's not surprising because that's the world we live in but the fact that this has been driven its tribalness is really frustrating i mean let's face it i don't know how many of them are going to be watching right now but the reaction of spurs fans to this it's baffling to me. Like, yeah. no one is saying that you've done anything wrong. No one is saying <laughs> that you specifically allow, like, Juju to the left, needs just still giving a goal.
1: I, you... th- I think they're probably just terrified of the prospect of a replay. That they just <laughs> really don't want that to happen. And that, that's why they're piping up a little bit, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, I never really thought that that was an idea that would have any legs in it because, again, I feel like even though this is a very specific case, I think what needs to happen from here is that there is a rule change rather than a kind of a walking backwards i mean for for starters i mean where and when and where are we going to play this game and what the hell happens if someone we get two guys injured in this extra game. anyway the point is that this process the way it was the way it played out can, can never happen again no so it's in everybody's interests in football to make sure that's the case so i don't always like using analogies in this situation because they can be picked apart but the one I kind of fell upon, like, imagine we're all working in a, a sales team and everyone gets commission. So everyone's trying to work as a team, but you're also working individually. And for some reason, when it came to the end of the month, there was an error and they didn't count any of your commission. And you're like, what? What the hell? Mm-hmm. I should have more commission, it's not, worth, it's not counting all my sales. They're like, oh, sorry, it's an error. And everyone else is like, sweet, we get more. But it's like, it could happen to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't complain now when it happens to someone else,
1: no one's going to complain when it happens to you. Yeah, exactly. I think it's frustrating because like, obviously at this point in the match, this is about half an hour in, is it? Something like that. 36. Yeah, and at this point of the game, Liverpool had had a red card given to them for a challenge that, OK, I, I agree that like most of the time you probably get a red for that, but it didn't have to be given. I do not think a non-field decision was it was a yellow. So I'd suggest the referee didn't think it was a bit at the time as well. And on top of that, we got a disallowed goal that was perfectly legitimate. So that's in the first half an hour. Um, that's purely because of the referees. So This is one of the reasons why this week it's unavoidable for us to speak about it. Because we, we, we typically talk about performance, mm. strategy, tactics and all that sort of stuff. Because that's what we think has the biggest impact on the mm-hmm. results. But there's certain outside factors outside your performance, and this is why the league table lies, by the way. Hmm. If your dad sat there now telling you that, yeah, the league table, you know, look at the league table. The league table lies. Make no mistake, it lies. And it lies for this reason. The best team doesn't always win. Amar. And it doesn't always win because there's so many external factors outside the performance that decide to result in a low-scoring sport, such as luck, finishing ability, penalties red cards admin errors, <laughs> admin errors. <laughs> uh it, it, it's 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 not just a game where the performance wins no but we, we focus on it like it is on this podcast but there's more to it really one thing i would say though all of those outside forces
0: do have some knock-on effect in the performance and those elements we can analyze for example you mentioned all of those things that went wrong in this game i would add in the fact that that was just the first time. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. And, and then and the fact, because we didn't know that he was wrongly chalked off for offside on the pitch. Yeah. And, uh, but I would then say that we've gone through the period where we've had the red card, remembered what happened against Newcastle, and was like, okay, the thing to do though is to stay tight, not concede a goal. And then we score a goal, and then we think we haven't scored a goal, and then we do concede a goal. And then you're thinking, oh, crap. So we're a goal down, we're a man down, away from home against a very good football team. And the response, the response from all of those knocks has to be credited. And I think back to last season when we go a goal down and everyone in the pit of their stomach would think, we're not coming back from this. We went 1-0 down the way, not in the forest. And I didn't think we were coming back from this. Now, it's a very, very different picture. Now... We've got a football team that can have two less players than a very good team at home and still look like scoring a goal yeah like i think that that part cannot be underestimated and i hope and i'm pretty sure the jurgen club is absolutely emphasizing that in the dressing room
1: yeah what what i felt was very insistent that that would have been really insistent to watch play out is if that diaz gold stood liverpool then take a one nil lead they can really, really sit on that. Spurs me, we have to overcommit a little bit to break yes. down Liverpool's block. Liverpool can get them going the opposite way. So that would have been really, despite the red card, that would have made for a really interesting tackle, yeah, yeah. you know, match battle for the rest of the game then. But we end up going a goal down. We've got one, last, one less man on the pitch. It looked like like at that point it was going to be a bit of a grim one. But mm. as you say, we struck back. Again, testament to the character of the team now. I, I, I was a bit. I wasn't concerned, but I did wonder what their character and the culture of this team would be without Milner and Henderson in the building, you know, because they, they, they were largely responsible for setting the previews. Yes, one. But without them here, we look just as determined, just as relentless with our kind of persistence to get a result as we did with them in the building, which is interesting.
0: And that's great. That's exactly where you want it to be. You want everyone who's there to have learned of those guys and to take those lessons forward. I also think... The, those those players in the dressing room knew that we were all thinking that and they've used that in itself as motivation to say, look, everyone thinks we've felt like a house of cars now, these two are out of the building. Let's prove that we've got some still in here. Yeah, And I think that that's kind of been a motivating factor. That's how you build a, a new team, a new dressing room, a new kind of chemistry amongst this new group. And yeah, I mean, things like this are often forged by fire. Like these guys are going to be best mates by the end of the season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, think, I can see that happening definitely, and I mean, if you touch on where we are, where we were at by the time, like just before the Jotter incident, and we touch on Klopp's management up until then as well. I think Klopp was spot on in a way in which he changed things. So obviously he went to a four four one were Salah towards the tip with the spear, Gakpo on the flanks, um, and the plan at that point was going according to plan in the sense that we've won all. Nunez was stripped on the sidelines, ready to come on with Trent, by the way. yeah, I think Trent might have come on, actually, for McAllister, rather than Gomez. You reckon? Playing as a centre-mid, feeding Nunez right through the middle. I could have saw that happen. I think he obviously normally comes on for Gomez, but yeah. when you're down to ten men, Gomez was kind of on the side of, like, a, a Madison and a of at that time. Um, I think Trent might have come on and played in midfield.
0: Well, the interesting thing about it is that the time when Josh's red card happens, which is just on the lip of potentially making the change for being on Nunez, he was stripped and ready, some had come off. Yeah. So, point. so the Tottenham game plan had already begun to change. And I do think regardless of how well they tactically work, He is their most important attacking player by far and he is a level of threat that none of the others reach. So you can play differently, you can game plan differently, you can attack differently. Like we don't have to we can afford to press a little bit higher up the pitch, for example. We can afford to really squeeze. And then obviously if you've got a man less, then that's great. That's kind of how you kinda get around that. So again, when you have someone like Nunes, you can push them back suddenly a little bit more.
1: And I really N- Nunez was the red button mate, yeah. N- Nunes was clock pressing the red button and saying yeah we've got 10 men, we're going for this and I said to you before we started recording, the, the place where I watched it when he come up on the screen the whole booze kind of like took off a little bit and it was like this is it now we're going for it Um. and it would have been really interesting to see just to see that happen, just to yeah. see 10 men Nunes tip of the spear getting fed by Trent, Spear's a little bit tired a little bit stale breaking down our block. I, I honestly think, and this is based on not very much, I honestly think we would have won the game. I do. I think we would have won the game.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's funny because we can sit here and say this and we have to recognise the fact that the stats say in the second half Spurs had 15 shots Liverpool had 2. <laughs> it certainly felt like a little bit more even than that. Yeah, yeah. And 10 of Spurs' shots were from outside the box, which tells you a little bit about them as well. And I think,
1: which tells you that we they were doing what we wanted. Them exactly. to Exactly. And I think that's
0: really interesting because Spurs would have looked at the way Newcastle reacted to playing with a man up at home and how they kind of froze a little bit, how they were almost happy to kind of deal for 1-0 and then suddenly it all changed. Spurs didn't even have the 1-0. They were drawing. And they were like, OK, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But they found themselves doing that. They had that 15-minute spell after halftime where they really blitzed us. They really worked us hard, and we had to kind of hang out for it. But once we got over that hump, we had started to claw back into the game and the spaces had started to open up. And the funny thing is, even when we went down to nine men, Spurs were still being really frustrated. And it's funny because when Klopp did the 5-3, when it first started, everyone was a bit like, Okay, how's this, how's this going to work? Who's going to go where? And we, and so, oh, oh, so we're just going to have a massive block of players in the middle of the field and pray that they don't go out wide. Cool. Yeah. But then they didn't. They didn't go out wide for a long time. And if you think about the way Spurs are set up, it's only really on the right-hand side with Poro and Kulisewski where they have anyone who really wants to have the touchline. Because mm. when they were playing with Charleston out left, he always wants to come in near the goal. Uh, Destiny Doggy, who's part of his remit, is to come in and underlap so there's never really that much width out on the left-hand side. And it felt like they were just trying to ball their way through our centre of defence. Which, I mean, this is exactly what we wanted. Yeah. And we did such a great job of holding out. Obviously, there is the dagger at the end. <laughs> to a guy who absolutely didn't deserve it. Yeah, yeah. When you think about the transformation we've seen within Joel Matip. Not just in that game, this season. The fact that he's been the Joel Matip of old that we thought had gone, to be brutally honest. Mm. And he's been able to allow us to bring Kanate back for to full fitness slowly so we're hopefully able to keep him fit for the rest of the season. But, like, I don't think he would have played 90 minutes if we'd have had 10 men, let yeah, like alone 11 men. Um, and then the mistake, yeah, I, I'm not going to criticise him for it, but a t- a, an untired guy clears that ball (laughs) and he was very justified in being tired because they had worked so hard and done so well for so long but again the reaction to it the way that Alison goes straight up to him was like nah like like, whatever's going on in your head now stop it like we're all in this together we've all fought hard for this you've earned so much more than you're going to get out of this game today and I feel like the reaction from most of the fanbase about it has been similar it's been one of like we're all commiserating with Joel because
1: like it's a cruel way to end the game. It is. It, was, it, it, it topped off a miserable day, yeah. really. I, I said on the air the outfield rap that if you think of all the things that happened to Liverpool on that day, it's everything that makes football grim, if you think about it. Red card, we got two of them. Own goal, last minute loser, disallowed uh, goal that was perfectly legitimate. It was. All of the good, all of the the bad stuff that can happen to you in a game, it happened all at once in, yeah. in the space of 19 minutes. To Liverpool, but you, you touched on it there. We went to a 5-3-0 with nine men, um, very much just kind of blocking the centre of the pitch, um, keeping them away from the most valuable shooting locations. Basically, enforcing them out wide a little bit and forcing them to take pot shots, and it really did work. And the, the the one issue I had with the subs he made was, I thought it was a risk when he took off all of the forwards. In the sense of we had no escape yeah. we had no way of getting out um but at the same time like there was a point where we had a shot for 45 yards because there was no one ahead of him. but I, <coughs> I think at the same time on the 95th minute if you'd have said to me are you happy i'd have been like yes we have a punk moment we've got nine men like, again yeah. a title challenger if you, if you want your normally, you
0: know i think normally club is always going to be of the situation if it's tight even away from home of this tight, late in the game, you're always going to try and win the game. I feel like these were rather large mitigating circumstances <laughs> against that. So he would have seen the benefit of us getting through it. That was a point where it definitely felt like a win. No two ways about it, even yeah. though it would and should have been a win. If you look at it, if it had ended 1-1. But yeah, that was my concern with the 5-3-0. It was that, who, 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 who's, who's, leading, who's leading the break? And as it turned out, it wasn't always what I was normally like, because he's literally the Jurisel Bunny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have again. It was another situation where it's just one of those three could have been new, That's somehow. Like yeah. I and again, obviously you understand why Endo comes on uh, and it makes sense. In the in the, the that's the kind of thing you need when you've got a numerical advantage or disadvantage. A player who can act like two, mm. if you see what I mean. But yeah, like. I think that because of the way Liverpool been this season, there was still plenty of us, like even at nine men and one one was thinking, if we get a chance, we
1: get a chance. But that, that was the problem; we couldn't even clear. can get up
0: there, yeah, because like there was the one free kick wasn't there where they sent. That was what I thought was really humorous actually. Like there was a moment where we sent a long free kick in from why Trent, put one in, and all three centre backs went up. Yeah, and the keeper
1: catches it and then he, was, he catches he, it and they're all three of them in front of me and i'm thinking yeah Shit, this is <laughs> yeah the but you, they get back you, you could see when that that cross was going to come in from the the corner i think it was you could see van dyke kind of geeing up Matsup and canada next to him was just to say let's get on the end of this but it just didn't work out that way but um i think if we look back at like um things that happened on the back of the game obviously Gap-Hole, is now injured for a little bit. Not as bad as we first thought, no. but he's he, he's going to be out. And Joss is now suspended for Brighton, um, which means Nunes centre stage. Yes. Um, it's insistent because it's Brighton. So, I, I don't think personally Nunes would have started this game against Brighton. And the reason for that is because of how Brighton build the game and how the pressing side of things is not Nunes' strength yet. No. Um, he's going to have to be really clever with the way in which he approaches the press against Brighton centre-backs and getting done in that sense and things like that. But it's a, I suppose it's a, an opportunity for him to step up as well.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. We, we have to kind of give him the chance to prove that he can do it. And I do think it's going to be a little bit of a battle and I think it's one of those situations where the rest of the team can help him out because there's a world where Bryan's vulnerability is wide in spaces around where fullbacks normally are, because they have the kind of narrow build-up, the two-three. So, if you get into a situation where our midfield is able to get pressure and win the ball, and our forwards are able to stay high and wide, that means the two centre-backs can't afford to kind of double up on him. As so they've got to be watching for what's happening out wide, which might give him a bit more space to get into and cause damage. From the pressing side of it. Yeah, you're right, he's going to have to be clever, we're going to have to work very well as a team. But the risk-reward, I yeah. think, is going to be massive in this one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully he'll cause more damage with the ball than he does to us without the ball, basically. Um, but that that's going to be an interesting game. And uh, Before we touch on Brighton, I think maybe to to round up the Spurs thing, do 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 you have any thoughts on like have you, have you gained any information regarding how good Liverpool are in in the Premier League at the minute? Because I, I I I think coming out of it personally, I feel a lot more confident, Yeah. Even though we 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 lost the game, that we are for example comfortably on a different level to Spurs. I think even though we were relatively well matched at times. I feel like we're a much better team than Spurs. Yeah, players. and that's it, not
0: to disrespect Spurs because I think that they no, are well, a good yeah, football I think team. Really. From
1: where, yeah, definitely. and they showed
0: that. I think the way that we were able to still contain them with that disadvantage and still maintain a threat.
1: I, I I think if they went to nine men or if they went to ten men, I think we'd have absolutely just brushed them aside. Yeah, and the fact that they couldn't steer the way around, I think speaks volumes for me.
0: Yeah, we were still able to affect their tactics. We were able to still make them do different things to what they were wanting to do. And that's with a disadvantage. And I think that, again, the depth that we have is really strong at the moment. And that's normally a really key indicator for a short-term form being able to extrapolate it over a long period. Because you're not relying on one or two individuals to win you all the games here and there. And yes, we've got in form, obviously he's still doing his well the first time he didn't get a goal
1: contribution, although he did. Um <laughs> I've what? always said though, like you don't you always you are as good as your players. That's what I've always kind of said and last season, despite Liverpool going through, you know, different periods of like narratives and all that stuff. I feel like on this podcast we kind of reiterated throughout it's the midfield, it's mm-hmm. the midfield, it's the midfield. Don't don't get away from it, don't forget it. It's the midfield. And Klopp only addressed the midfield in the summer. People were touching on the fact he needs a left-sided defender. You know, I agree with, with that. But it just shows how much has changed just by addressing your overwhelming weakness and taking care of it completely. Losing five, getting in four. We we look like a different team.
0: And it's a real
1: vote of confidence for everyone else.
0: Yeah. Because it's, it's almost as if it was saying that, look, You lot aren't bad players overnight. It's just that the way that you're having to play because of the deficiencies in our system, i.e., the midfield, is making you look worse. It's like exacerbating all of the bad parts of the game and not really giving you much complimentary football. That was the thing that we kept saying last season, wasn't it? There wasn't the players weren't really complimenting each other. It was almost like the opposite. Now they do look like they're compromise each other. Everyone's game helps the next man's game progress a little bit better. Everyone knows what everyone wants to be able to do. and we look at them like a unit on the football pitch. and I don't just mean in terms of um, we've all got the same attitude, but we we move as a squadron, we press as a squadron a lot better this season now. and yes, that's something that's going to get better and better as the season goes, but it just looks a little bit more joined up and therefore it's harder for a, an opponent to pick up. They're actually going to have to game plan to find some gaps rather than just you know have them appear out of nowhere and <laughs> maybe where us lose the ball for a counter attack.
1: Yeah, well I, I think it's too early really to kind of make defensive statements so and it's probably too early to touch on numbers really in terms of the underlying performance and that. But if we do look at the numbers very quickly, I, I do think Liverpool uh, Comfortably top three in the league. Not even. I think there's a massive gap between the, the the third and the fourth, personally. But I think Liverpool are top three. If you look at the numbers so far, Liverpool are fifth in the league for expected goals. But you've got to bear in mind we've played half the season with ten men. By the by, the looks of it, something like that anyway. <laughs> um, and we're really not that far off the top with that. And I think if we'd have played the full season with eleven men, I think we'd have the best attack. So, and I think on the defensive side we are, it, it doesn't look particularly great, but that again goes back to the fact we've got, we've had 10 men, we look about <laughs> mid-table, if, if you have a glance at it. But, um, shout out Andrew Beasley, yes, uh, friend right. of the show. Um, he had a look at the numbers and I think Liverpool so far this season have played 5.2 full games with 11 men. And in that we've conceded expected goals of about 0.87 per 90, that is about title winning good really to be honest and if you couple that with the attack we've obviously got, you you are talking title challenging level to be honest, you may be not talking 100 points Guardiola level, No. 90 points level maybe, but I don't think, I'm not sure City are going to be that.
0: No, and I
1: mean, you have
0: to kind of really put some of these things into context, isn't it? Like you say, the 0.87, that's just under a goal a game. And so far this season, we were talking last show on all the three ones. Teams are able to score against us. We're not keeping clean sheets, which obviously that's one of the things people normally use as an indicator for a team being able to sustain the challenge. But no one's scoring twice against us. Even Spurs only scored one. We unfortunately scored the other one. Uh, Which means the teams are only taking one chance. They might be getting as many chances, maybe even a little bit less chances than they were getting last season, but they're still only taking one a game. Which means Liverpool only have to score two goals to win a game. And as you said before, Liverpool look more than comfortable or more than capable of scoring two goals a game. So even that has to be put into kind of relative context that we are doing enough to win football games. and. You're right, there is still so much of the season to come and there's so many kind of different variables that we can't control or falsely in terms of injuries uh, form fluctuations in form of our opponents, for example. But from what we've seen so far, if we can continue with this, then I agree with you. I think that Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal will probably separate themselves around about January, February time.
1: Well, well this, is, this is kind of what makes the, the the modern Liverpool so difficult to compete with when they are on it. Because if you're giving away shots worth about 0.87 expected goals a game, that's not a lot. Obviously, you've just said that's less than a goal a game in same of the shots that Liverpool are giving away. But you've got to bear in mind, those shots then are against Alisson Becker. Yeah, exactly. so that, <laughs> you know, It makes Liverpool extremely difficult to score against, extremely difficult to beat. And, um, yeah, just going back to it, like, for a bit of comparison, so far this season, again, very early days, but Liverpool are giving away shots worth about 0.87 goals a game. Um, When we won the league, we were giving away shots worth about 0.97 goals per game. Um, And if you go back to the season before that, when we were at 90... How many points did we get in that season? 97, was it? Something like that, when we finished second and won the Champions League.
0: Oh, right, yeah. Uh, Yeah, 96, I think it was.
1: Yeah, when we finished second and won the Champions League, we were giving away shots worth about 0.74 goals per game in terms of XG. So, what I'm talking about, anyway, what I'm kind of summing up there is, so far this season at the minute, it's very early, but the defence looks a lot better. It does. I think, as individuals, maybe they still look a little bit shaky at times, and we're we're not keeping as many clean sheets as we'd like, Maybe. But as a unit, yes, are not as easy to, to cut over. No. That was the main issue last last season.
0: I think, again, a lot of that is the individuals. I think I mentioned Matip earlier, we have to put Joe Gomez in that category as well. They've been performing at a level that most observers didn't think that they could reach any more. So when we were talking previously about the need for a left-sided centre-back and the desire and how pressing a need that was, that we all thought it was, it was based on the tip and Gomez we saw on the back end of last season, but those players aren't the same. Um, I think it's remarkable not only we mentioned the midfield is going to help them, but just from a fitness level, and I feel like I should touch some wood while I'm talking about <laughs> this. But not just the fact that Joel Mattip has been fantastic this season, but he's played four consecutive league games, 90 minutes. Yes, he's not played in the midweeks, but four consecutive league games, 90 minutes. That probably felt like it was beyond him Mm. to me anyway and he's been able to show that level of consistency which means that as a unit we can rely on more and that's why I think defensively I'm a bit more confident even if the numbers are saying that we are keeping the clean sheets and keeping people out because I know that these guys can perform at a great level and in any individual one game I'd back them against whatever attacking got up there.
1: Well, the defensive talk is what makes this weekend insistent, mm-hmm. because we, for me at least, it was our worst game last season, in terms of, I mean it was a miserable campaign, but out of them all, <laughs> out of them all it was the game that I felt most like, almost embarrassed, like we got danced around me.
0: I mean, yes, I feel like this is, it's a battle with Wolves away for me. Three. Yeah, yeah, a few people have said that, yeah. But yeah, like again, you're fighting a very low bar here at the bottom Now, what okay. game It was yeah. it was just The thing about that for me was is that we went into that game fearing the worst because we felt like the fact that Brighton had kinda got our number a little bit previously and we were a little bit unconfident in how we were playing. And it wasn't that there was no point where that feeling changed.
1: <laughs> like yeah, at no yeah. point did they give us any hope whatsoever. Oh. It was, it was like keep ball at one point. Yeah, couldn't get near them. It was like Man- playing Manchester City, peak of the powers, and it wasn't. It was Brighton. Yeah, and no disrespect to Brighton, but you know what? It, the way in which it, it panned out, anyway, like we we absolutely got taken to school by this A. B. I felt mm-hmm. because um, since he's came to England, he, he's kind of introduced this concept of like, I think press baiting is is, is the word that's getting used for it in the sense yes. of like. Their, their centre-backs will be on the ball, and if they are not under pressure, they will just stand on the ball until someone comes near. Yeah, them. yeah. They'll entice that press, and once that press kind of gets invited and they, they lure you in almost, they will then just play around you, accelerate the game really quickly, move off the pitch and cut you open, and that is exactly how it panned out last season against Liverpool. They just kind of lured us in, I think it was Gachpo maybe leading the line. And then we, we just couldn't get a couldn't lay a glove on and he just moved around us very quickly and I think going into this game this weekend, that's the really interesting thing for me. It's a similar team for Liverpool in the sense of the attacking line and the defensive line and the goalkeeper. But we have a completely different midfield. Yes. And it's still gonna be kind of like the Zerbi build up against the Klopp press. But now Klopp has an actual engine room to to lead the press almost so it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. It is, and it's
0: strange because you feel like Liverpool could do the same tactics as they tried previously and it would work better, but I still think that there's an even better tactic than that. And that's what Aston Villa did, because let's not forget, they lost 6-1 last week. <laughs> so our team in Aston Villa the we beat kind of comfortably. And the way that they did it <clears throat> is by allowing them to bait the press and not, not reacting. They weren't... West pre- under the thing. Yeah, so essentially, if, if uh, Duncan Webster's just sitting there on the ball, all the, the, the Villa players were doing was cutting off every single central passing lane to make sure that the only ball he had to play, because he did eventually have to play the ball, he's not going to stand on it for 90 minutes, was out wide. And once the ball goes out wide, that's when the press goes. That's when you go tight, you go man for man, you try to crowd them out and they didn't have an answer for it. Now, obviously, having that worked against them twice used to specs very heavily, the reverse of the is going to be trying to find an answer for it. But I very much to say that I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what Liverpool try to do, to try to just wait and not let them, not let themselves fall into the trap that Brighton trying to set for them, and say, no, we've got
1: our own trap for you. Well, the only problem with that is if you think of specifically for me how West Ham did it where Brighton were building the game and West Ham the just stood there mm-hmm. and waited the only <laughs> problem with that is can you pitch Liverpool doing that? And is it even acceptable for a heavyweight like Liverpool well, to just allow someone to have the ball? Do you know what I mean? It depends. I think it depends because if they, if they were
0: standing in their own half doing it then I think it's alright particularly in the early going of the game look we, yes, Liverpool are a heavyweight, but Brian aren't a, 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 low, a middleweight anymore. They are moving up. They are now the team who are expect. they're a European team. They've got to, they're a team that they're playing tonight. They're expected to go out, sorry, tomorrow night. They're expected to go out there and, and, and press the game against a really good European team. I think Marseille they're playing, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So they're expected to go out there and compete with a team like that. So... It's not so much a, we're going to a, an underdog and we're just sitting off them, it's we're going to a good opponent and we're going to give them a test. Yeah, And we're going to see how they react, we're going to see how their crowd react as well, because I think these are start, things that start to feed into it. Because Brian have lost more games in this little period of the season than they used to over the last 18 months to two years, and... If you're a club, you're trying to feel yourself as a bigger club, you're starting to act differently, you're starting to perceive yourself differently, but then suddenly you're losing games. It's not quite as simple for them to just be like, okay, come on, we we can get behind. Like if if we they get pumped 4 0 by Liverpool at home, it feels different now to what we would have done two years ago.
1: Yeah, it's it's looking at the results 'cause the it's it is a mixed bag so far. They haven't actually drawn a single game yet? No. All season and all, all, all competitions. <clears throat> And they've lost the last two, for example, against Aston Villa and Chelsea, who many people would have expected maybe you'll beat. But then they beat Man United three one, yeah. They beat Newcastle United three one. So it's it's an insistent one. And I think again it goes it goes back for me the big dynamic, and this is just is is the the clock press, which has historically been the best press in Europe mm-hmm. against the Zerbi build up. Which is, and something's got to give essentially. And if you look at the numbers attached to the season so far, I think it's interesting that Brighton are the only team in the whole of Europe to not launch a goal kick yet. Every single goal kick has gone short. That's crazy. Um, The only other team, sorry, there isn't another team, Brighton are the only team to to, to do that. And so 0% of their goal kicks have been launched. And for perspective on that, a launched goal kick is something that travels over 40 yards. Mm-hmm. Napoli is second on 3.8% of their goal kicks have been launched. Then PSG, Bayern, Spurs, Inter Milan, Werder Bremen, Liverpool for this. 32nd uh, mm. in Europe. So we mix it up a little bit. Uh, but Brighton, you know exactly what they're going to do. So Klopp will, we, we know we're going to get opportunities mm. to... Let our press be the playmaker if you want, but it's a big risk as well against this, I can, that team is so good at It, <coughs> it is, you know.
0: and uh, there's another fascinating element to it as well, which is, I think, the way that we have the ball when we're trying to do our build-up, we see it a lot of the time where we try to have the five forwards pressed up against you. And I was saying previously before, if Brighton are just going to sit on the ball, then there's a danger in that if we've got five players up there, but what that means is that they have to kind of keep some of their main counter-attack guys deep. So if they have to honour our five forwards, if we can make some hay, some some leeway with actually using those forwards up there to actually get some chances, they start to drop back. Matoma, in particular, has to come back in the, into the defensive line. And suddenly, if they win the ball in that situation, they haven't got a direct ball to Matoma behind our fullback. They've got to then build-up, because that's the other thing about the, the deserving method. It's, it's not just about being great at winning the ball back, but it's being super direct as soon as you do win the ball back, like giving the opposition no chance to get back into space. You've got fast guys on the wings, but you've also got a guy in Danny Welbeck who's really good at controlling the football. And when it's and one of the times when they do ping it up to him, he can control it, he can bring other players into play. But if we were trying to, if we we're pushing up on them, we're creating more distance between the defensive guys and the attacking guys, and that gives us more of a chance against their counter attack. So, attack is probably the best form of defence, but that means that all of our hearts are probably going to be going for most yeah. of this game.
1: Well, to be to be fair, you you just mentioned like you know attack's the best form of defence. I, I think that to be fair is is something that you probably could level at Brighton and say you you could probably improve that side of the game mm-hmm. um, in terms of. The Serbian, maybe that's a, a a little bit of a, a thing on the back of Casado leaving, maybe Casado the protection that he provided <coughs> has gone out the window a little bit. But I don't think Brighton so far. I've had a sending off. I think I'm right in saying that. No. And their expected goals against so far this season puts them below Liverpool, even though Liverpool have been down to ten men for for a lot of time basically. Yeah. So. Brighton, have got a, basically a mid-table defence, um, which bodes well. And it could it could be a case of like you know, there's a couple of goals in this game. And, you know, I, I touched on earlier about like, do we know how good this Liverpool team are yet? The Spurs game would have been a nice gauge for that. It's difficult to gauge because of how the game went. Yeah. But this Brighton game, hopefully, this can give us a bit more insight into that, just how good we are and if we are title challenging level.
0: I think so because again, they are a team who are going to be expecting to be up around the top of the table and we're going to be away from home. So it's going to be one of those games that everybody who comes to Brighton are going to have to be on their best to beat them. And so if we can pass this test, particularly after what happened against Spurs, I do feel like it can really put us in a good position because, again, we're not just winning a football game, but we're stopping a team that we're competing with particularly at this point in the season, from winning a football game. And again, we mentioned the midfield and how ours is so much better now. Theirs is worse. <laughs> like, I'm not going to sit here and disrespect Billy Gilmore because I do think for what he does, he's still very good. But I think the kind of player he needs alongside him when he plays like he is, they don't have anymore. Um, Balaba hasn't really got up to speed yet. i will be interested to see whether Adingra starts. Uh, they had the young kids making his debut against... Uh, uh, Villa Jack Hinsherwood didn't really play well. They kind of got swamped in midfield. Him and Gilmore as a pair did look undersized, under speed.
1: It so could be interesting to see the hood actually because mm-hmm. didn't, you know, pass Liverpool links. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he ended up going to Dortmund, didn't he? At the time it did, yeah. from Bunching was he? Yeah, something like that. So that'll be an interesting one. Uh, and I think McAllister obviously going back there. I think there's this there's this kind of a uh, line that like. Never buy a player from Brighton because he, 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 he's guaranteed not to be as good when he arrives at your club. But I think that's just, a, I think what's more the case for that is just if you're coming from a smart club, you've got to go into another smart club. Yeah. Whereas I think most of the clubs that go and overpay for Brighton's assets are the clubs who were a bit of a mess, like Chelsea, for example. So it never looks good when you get to Chelsea and, and, and you don't shine immediately. McAllister looks great. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, look. Eve
0: suddenly looks like a great player yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Exactly. Uh, almost as if it's it really is dependent upon the, the tactics and the management as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. But um it's an insistent game. It looks like it's gonna be an insistent one with with this kind of narrative of, you know, club against the Zerby and fire against Warsaw almost. <laughs> uh but yeah, thanks for joining us, well No worries. I've i enjoyed this now. Like I I could
0: I can have a nice day? Go <laughs> about yeah. my day in town, you know, see what else is out there, rather than you know sitting in my living room.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully this will be the end of it, uh, of of the days of Zoom, basically, yes. because we, we do need to move past that, and we will work on the kind of setting. <laughs> yeah, that we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, if you've got any ideas, then feel free to leave them in the comments. We're always looking for more initiative as to how to improve the show.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll mix it up this year, mix it up this season. But um, thanks for joining us. Uh, And we will see you next week.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.